Amen. Amen. I feel like um, I could probably just pronounce a benediction. What a wonderful prayer. Um, the story of Jesus and who he is. And I'm not comfortable with that up there, so I'm going to move it down there. Good morning. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be able to bring you the word this morning. And uh, um, Shane has been away on vacation. I heard that he is back on the campus, so he can't completely remove himself, but uh, he will not be with us today. So it is my pleasure to, uh, to be able to bring the word to you this morning. Uh, I am going to ask you to pull out your bulletin, and on the back you'll see the, the section for sermon notes. I don't usually call attention to it, uh, but you're going to need it later on. So uh, if you have a pen, grab that and turn the page so that it's uh, convenient for you. And I'm in that in-between zone where I can't see <laughs> with my, my old eyes. Um, so um, I'm finishing up in his absence uh, the sermon series that we began way back uh, underneath the tent uh, back in, uh, may have even been June, I think, uh, where we kicked off this sermon series on uh, John Wesley's questions or the questions of John Wesley. Um, and so over the last few weeks, we, we've, we found that we thought it was impractical to try and do all 22 of them. So we just picked out a few, and over the past few weeks, Shane has dealt with some of them. And so I'll be wrapping it up today. Um, he um, led us through the question, is Jesus real to me? Am I a hypocrite? Am I proud? And last week, two questions, both dealing with the study of Scripture. Um, did the Bible live in me today? And am I giving it time to speak to me every day? I hope that that message um, inspired you or encouraged you to um, spend some time in the Word this week. And, that, and through that, you began to hear God move in your life and and, and comfort you and challenge you. So we're going to continue on with uh, question number 10 on Wesley's list. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement that later on became the Methodist Church. When was the last time I spoke to someone about my faith? When was the last time? So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand as you are able while I read our scripture lesson for the foundation of our, my sermon today. And it comes to us from Acts, uh, chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. Then the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go down toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go over to his chariot, to the chariot, and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asked him, Do you understand what you are reading? He replied, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself 
or about someone else. Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Because uh, context always matters, I, I thought it would be important at this point in the series that we understand the questions and the basis for the questions attributed to John Wesley. He and his brother Charles were meeting with a group of men on the campus at the University of Oxford while, he was, while they both were students there. And the commonality within the group was a desire for a holy life. These men came together in pursuit of right living and, and be, to be held accountable to their Christian faith and their own personal walk. They believed that by meeting together on a regular basis, they could challenge and encourage one another. The questions were part of a personal daily examination. And by the way, you can find these questions anywhere on the internet. And, and so they were, uh, they were to look at these questions daily, uh, either at the beginning or at the end of the day. And then once a week they would come together and they would um, go through the questions again um, with each other. The group became sarcastically known around the campus as Wesley's Holy Club. Now that process became the backbone for the Methodist movement, this, this accountability, what later on became bands of people or, or, um, or groups, uh, what he called um, social, let's see, societies, he called societies or class meetings, so Sunday school, worship, accountability, that was the foundation for what became the Methodist movement uh, because we don't want to under, misunderstand the questions as some sort of a test for our salvation to kind of see how we're doing at earning our salvation. It's purely a practice of discipleship, a means for spiritual growth. John Wesley believed that sharing how you were living out your faith with one another, with others, allowed for the kind of intimacy and depth where God would speak to each other and through one another. Wesley understood then what statistics now bear out, that the person who participates in only one hour of worship, the Sunday worship service a week, is more likely to fall away from the faith and less likely to truly experience deep spiritual growth and personal change. Church was more than just Sunday worship. Within this particular question, when was the last time that I spoke to someone else about my faith, there's kind of an assumption that as a Christian, you would be sharing your faith because the, the question is when. So it was assumed that as a follower of Christ, a disciple, a Christian, that you would be um, from time to time sharing your faith with others. Now the question might make us a little uncomfortable because it, it came out of a time when um, believers took seriously the evangelistic nature of the faith when the church recognized its responsibility for evangelism. Isn't that still the sole purpose of the church? 
the main purpose of the church is to reach outside beyond the congregation into the community to the lost, those that are far from God, as we hear uh, others say. Even Pope Francis has recently reminded the Catholic Church, the largest gathering, denomination, group of Christians across the world, he had to remind him only recently that the church exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost. That is our purpose. The, the E word, evangelism, is often met with about as much enthusiasm in the church as the T word, the tithe. We uh, church folks don't like it when some sort of expectation is placed on us. We're under grace, not the law is often the rebuttal. And I, and I get it, you can save your emails, I understand. But there is an expectation. We are followers of Christ, implying we do what Christ did. And what Christ did was evangelism. He told others of the kingdom of God. The Methodist church is often seen as being more interested in social justice than evangelism, but... but our roots don't bear that out. Our, our roots um, can't come out of evangelism. I mean, Wesley came to this country to evangelize the Native Americans in, in Georgia. Um, the itinerant pastor model, or the circuit riders, they went from place to place preaching the gospel. I mean, Wesley became a, um, a preacher in the, in the coal mines and in the factories and out in the streets which is all evangelism. He, did, he wasn't waiting for the folks to come to the church to hear the good news. He went to the streets. Now the scripture passage that we just heard is a great example of, of basic evangelism. And, and it makes perfect sense that it comes from Luke's writing, the book of Acts. Acts is generally considered the narrative of the acts of the apostle, the spread, how the gospel spread through the actions of the apostles, the acts. But it doesn't take long into the book before you realize the real uh, center, the main character of the story is the Holy Spirit. Everything that happens through the narrative of the spread of the gospel happens through and by way of the Holy Spirit. The author begins with Jesus' ascension and after having told the disciples, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit, which they did. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and that really was the beginning of the story of evangelism throughout, what is it, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? The ends of the earth. It started and spread by way of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, shortly after Jill and I were married, um, I took a job with a big corporation, started my career um, in corporate America, and uh, we were moved to New Orleans almost immediately. And, uh, and like New, or New Orleans is like most big cities, it's made up of a lot of smaller towns around the center city. And maybe some of you are familiar with New Orleans. But we lived out in the suburbs, just like we do now. Um, very rarely did we go downtown. 
uh, to, to, you know, to the tourist sites. Um, but every time somebody came to town to visit us, of course, they wanted to go see downtown. So, so we would go to the Garden District, and we would go to um, Jackson Square, and we'd hit all the places, and, then, and the French Quarter. And ultimately, we would end up where? On Bourbon Street. Everybody who comes to New Orleans wants to go to Bourbon Street, and so it was a must-see, and so we would do that. And so uh, back at this time, I started noticing sort of a reoccurring event that was going on down there. There, there was little, Jill always wonders, how do you remember this stuff? But I don't know. But there were these little boys. I mean, it's been 30 years ago, but there was these little boys. They were all kind of under 10 years old, like four and five and six years old. And they were incredible tap dancers. And, and they would have on these metal taps on their shoes. And, and, and on Bourbon Street, you know, there's all kinds of street artists and performers. And they play the guitar and they play the saxophone and the trumpet and so forth. And they're playing for tips. And so these, these boys would put a hat on the ground and they would begin tapping. And they were awesome. Uh, uh, it was funny because a lot of times their shoes didn't fit their feet because I think they were sharing shoes. And, and after they finish. They would stop, and one of the little boys would holler out to one of the tourists, mostly a man, and he would say, Hey, mister, for five bucks, I can tell you where you got them shoes. Maybe you've experienced this. It's kind of a New Orleans tradition. And, of course, uh, the tourist would go back and forth with the kid for a little while, and eventually he would say that line that he had said a hundred times, and he would say, Mister, you got them shoes on your feet on Bourbon Street. And then the tourists would sheepishly hand over the five bucks. I saw it time after time after time. And, and I tell you that story because I want you to, I want you to understand sometimes we overlook the obvious. We, we make things so complex and complicated and move past what's right in front of us. And, uh, and I want you to know that sometimes we need to take a step back. It's good to pull back from the forest and check in on the condition of the trees every once in a while to make sure they're healthy. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of where we're at with this evangelism message. While I may not know the details of your personal conversion, that moment when you came to Christ the very first time, if you have in fact come to Christ as your Savior... I am almost certain that you came to Christ through your hearing of the gospel, did you not? In some way, somehow, some shape or form, someone spoke the gospel to you, you heard it, the Holy Spirit moved within you, and you responded Evangelism is really that simple. And we try to make it so complicated. The encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian in our story was initiated by the Holy Spirit. We see it in the first sentence. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go down, to go. Right? And so in that moment, Philip had a decision to make. Like most call stories in the Bible, the hearer has an encounter with God and in that moment, there's a decision that needs to be made. And most pastors would tell you their call story, there was a decision that had to be made. It's, it's sort of a go, no-go moment where you're either going to be obedient or not. And, that, and that's what was going on here is, is the Holy Spirit had said to Philip, go down the road. 
Now, what we didn't read was the passage just before this where Philip had already left Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen and begun preaching in Samaria. And he had had some success. The Samaritans were being converted. And he had developed a following. And he had, could have very easily built a church, become the local pastor, and enjoyed the fruits of his labor and, a, and the good life. And no one would ever have known the difference and we wouldn't be reading the story. But because he responded out of obedience to the Holy Spirit, he went down this road. But what's going on in the event is actually a little bit deeper than, than meets the eye at first glance. Even though Luke tells us the eunuch was returning home from Jerusalem where he had worshipped, according to Hebrew law, he would not have been allowed to fully participate in the assembly. He was welcome to come, but he was kept at an arm's distance. And you'll find that over in Deuteronomy. He was an outsider, excluded. Because eunuchs were castrated men set aside for very specific tasks in the royal family, in the royal household. They mostly oversaw the harem, but they also had other uh, high positions. Upon becoming a eunuch, they were immediately ostracized and cast out from the religious community of the Jewish faith. Luke wants his reader to see how the disciples continued the work that Jesus began by moving out of the center of the city, the center of the religious faith, into those, those places outside where folks were excluded. This was a stepping stone between the Samaritans and the Gentiles. The story is rich beyond just the page and the surface of the story. I want you to listen to these words of Isaiah the prophet who spoke these words some 500 years before this actual event. Listen to what Isaiah said. He said, Do not let the foreigner joined to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from His people. And, and do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Just like the Samaritans, the eunuch's conversion was a sign of the arrival of the kingdom of God. Jesus had come and He announced what? He announced the kingdom has come. And here's how you know. People get healed. The lame walk. The blind see. People are released from their... You know, the captives are released. And the outsiders are now included. The kingdom of God has come. How can I understand unless someone explains it to me, the eunuch said to Philip. He was interested in the things of God. He had gone to worship. He was reading Scripture. He, he probably had a decent prayer life. But he had questions. And he desired a greater understanding, but he needed someone to tell him the rest of the story. 
In obedience to the Holy Spirit, Philip went. And hearing the opening for the conversation, he proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. And the eunuch responded, and he was baptized. If you go on and finish reading the story, I love that part where he says, well, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he was. Now, we don't necessarily do spontaneous baptism much anymore, but it's biblical. And so they celebrated that moment together when he came to faith. It's how Christianity grew from the beginning, and it's how it still grows today. Someone speaks the gospel, someone hears the gospel, and conversion happens. St. Paul wrote that faith comes through hearing. Hearing. In his letter to the Romans, he went on to say that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one who may have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim it? He went on to conclude that letter with the saying, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Did you know you have beautiful feet when you share the gospel? You're bringing something to someone else that they don't already have. It is a beautiful thing. It has been said in regard to our evangelism, the Christian church, that Christianity is one failed generation away from extinction. One failed generation away from extinction. Now, although I don't completely agree with that, um, I understand the point. We have a responsibility to tell the story of Jesus to others. Think about the person or people in your life who told you about Jesus. You know, last week, we, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, this place was full of kids. We had 100 kids and 80 ministry partners who were telling them about Jesus. They sang songs, they read scripture, they played games, and at the center of every story and everything they did was the message of who Jesus is. They were doing evangelism. There is a popular quote you may have heard. It's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, although there's some question as to whether he actually said it or not. But it goes like this. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Have you heard that? Have you said that? Have you used it as a reason for not speaking the gospel? Because that's what we do. Oh, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not called to, you know, I'm not called to preach. Um... One of the most uncomfortable situations I was ever in was a, a guy uh, asked me, where do I preach? That's a whole other story, but I was not a preacher yet. And I go, oh, I, I don't preach, I'm just a layperson. And he called me to, um, he, he called me to charge, um, we in your baptism are called to preach the gospel wherever we go. St. Francis, of course, lived an amazing Christian life adequately providing an example of how we should live or how we might live in the pursuit of the faith. But I doubt that he would agree that that in itself is sufficient or an alternative to the spoken word. 
by itself, a life well lived in the way of Christ can easily be seen as just um, really just good upbringing or uh, a strong so- so- social conscience or just good moral character. But, but without naming the name and telling the story, uh, it misses the mark and conversion does not happen. Jesus' command to go and make disciples requires that we, of course, live out our faith a certain way so that we don't damage our witness, but it also requires that we go and speak the good news. He told the demoniac after his healing, go home and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you and what mercy has been shown you. When did you last tell someone how much the Lord has done for you or how mercy has been shown to you? Now, uh, to close out this sermon, I'm going to do something I hardly ever do. That's why I asked you to grab your pens and your, and your paper. I'm going to give you three uh, practical applications, practical principles. And I'm only doing that because I just finished my evangelism class and they're fresh on my mind. So I'm going to give you the benefit of my weeks of work. Don't get used to it. Number one, faith sharing must be grounded in prayer. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It must be grounded in prayer. We can pray for those people around us that we know are not believers. We can pray for the opportunity to share our faith with them. We can pray that God would give us the courage and the strength to respond when those moments arrive. We can pray that we will follow the leadings, like Philip, of the Holy Spirit to go to that place wherever we are sent. And so I ask you, who might God be trying to reach through you? Pay attention. Secondly, listening listening opens the door for speaking. To hear what's going on in the conversation, what the other people are saying could open the door. In this, in this culture uh, uh, of... Um, full of messages, voicemail, text, video, conferencing, um, emails, and the celebrated two-second soundbite, we have come accustomed to speaking more than listening. But, but listening is critical to evangelism and to faith sharing. We have to be engaged in conversation where when someone says, I don't know what I'm going to do, or I'm at the end of my rope, or I am hurting so bad... We can respond and go, oh, let me tell you how I deal with similar situations. Let me tell you who knows the answer. And we we go right through that door that was opened clearly by the Holy Spirit. We invite through prayer holy conversations. And finally, God is far more interested in our availability than our ability. And I am reminded of that every time I stand in this space.
God wants to know that we are simply open and available and He will move. We have to do the work. I promise you, I do the work before I come into this moment. But God shows up. And so if we look at our schedules and we find that God couldn't get in there sideways if He wanted to because we're so driven by goals and, and success and pursuit of things and experiences and there's no margin. That's mostly the excuse I hear when I ask, how is your Bible study going? Oh, I don't have time. How's your prayer going? Uh, I just don't have time. Well, you are in charge of your own schedule. You are. You may think you're not. You may blame it on somebody else. But when you get up every morning, you get to make all of those little decisions that add up to the day. And so when we clear out some margin and we pay attention and we slow down and we listen to the Holy Spirit, we will get those opportunities. And you say, oh, I won't know what to say. Well, that's biblical. Jesus says, don't worry. I'll give you the words you need in the moment. You still need to do the work. Prepare. I told you last time I preached this message a few weeks ago that we need to develop our own God language so that we can do our two-minute elevator um, speech of how we came to Christ. I can tell you that American consumerism has crept into the church and we spend more time talking about our own preferences and our own likes and our own dislikes and what we need to do uh, to please each other and less time talking about what God is calling us to do out there. I'm challenging you this week to remember the church exists for the sole purpose, for the sole purpose of reaching the lost. They need us to tell the story so that they can hear and believe. Let us pray. God, we are humbled that you would even consider using us to do such important work. Lord, and we confess that we are more interested in having conversation about sports and celebrity and politics and people than we are about our faith. And so I pray that by your Spirit, by, by a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit that we received at our baptism, that you would empower us and raise us up to the, be the people who are willing to tell the story of Jesus. And it is in his name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Harrison Church now offers Text to Give, a quick and easy way to tithe or donate anytime, anywhere. Text HUMC and your gift amount to 73256. For more information, you can visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.